Charles Adler Show. Thank you for having me. Warren, before I uh, get into uh, Nikki Haley and slavery with the big uh, caveat that uh, most Republican uh, voters won't hold it against her, that she refused to cite uh, what the obvious cause was of the, the Civil War and why she did all that. Before we do all of that, I want to get you to focus on the list that you put out earlier this week on your rules for politicians. Now, the rule that jumped off the page for me was the one where you were, forgive me if I'm not putting it quite the way you did, where you basically said to politicians, stop wrapping yourself around God. Stop doing the the God thing, because the truth is that the person who murdered the Son of God was a politician. I want to hear more from the mind of Warren Kinsella. Yeah, the, the truth is, the historical truth is a politician killed God's son. So probably if we were to check with her, God would say that she's not wild about politicians. So but anyway, it was my funny way, irreverent way of pointing out that, uh, and you see this much more in the United States, of course, than in Canada, politicians who associate themselves with God make a lot of voters uncomfortable. The last time we had that in Canada in any big way was Stockwell Day, of course, in 2000. So he was, uh, for all the youngsters, the leader of the Canadian Alliance Party, which was a fusion of the Reform Party and Treasurer in Alberta, lots of budgetary surpluses, bilingual, physically fit, uh, the whole bit, telegenic. But he also said that his religion, which happened to be creationism, it would inform the decisions he made as prime minister. And um, that was uh, a mistake, and it was one mistake we took advantage of. I was particularly mean to him. Um, using a dinosaur, a plush purple dinosaur. I won't get into that unless you want me to. But um, yeah, it was, uh, you know, a lot of voters just don't like that God stuff, and certainly not in Canada. In the United States, I guess you can get away with it more. So talk to me about the, the dinosaur, because I'm very mindful of the fact that most people listening right now would not have seen that moment. Uh, <laughs> it was, and I just, you know, because pop podcasts are, just personal, authentic conversations. So I'm having the same conversation with you on the podcast as I would uh, off offline. And uh, I don't know whether that was the first time that I spotted you simply as a, a Canadian citizen, but I do believe that may have been the very first time I actually saw you on camera. And that moment that you delivered where you were holding a dinosaur to make the case that Stockwell Day was indeed a dinosaur and Stockwell Day believed in dinosaurs and blah, 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 blah. Let you do your own thing on that. But the point is when, when I saw you with that visual of the dinosaur, I said a couple of things to myself about Stockwell Day. But the thing I said to myself about Warren Kinsella is this is a great communicator. This guy knows how to tell a story. This guy knows how to draw a picture. This guy knows how to inject the human mind, the consumer, whether they're right wing, left wing. I don't, I don't give a damn about that stuff. I never do. You have the ability to, and you still do, of course, many, many years later is the one of the, the best uh, public relations uh, firm CEOs of, of all time, uh, 
the Daisy Group and everything else that you've done, the, the books and everything else, regardless of how people feel about it, you have that unique capacity to popularize an idea within nanoseconds, inject it into the human brain in such a way that I cannot forget, and multiple millions of Canadians couldn't forget what you did with that dinosaur, couldn't forget it even if we tried, couldn't forget it even if we hated Warren Kinsella. It doesn't matter. Take me back to that moment, and please take as much time as you well, like, because it was a great moment in Canadian history. And um, Alberta. I am from Alberta, and I knew all about Stockwell Day, and I knew that he subscribed to creationism. And creationism is an evangelical school in quotation marks that believes that the earth is only a couple thousand years old and you know dinosaurs coexisted with men and women and anyway it it it's there there are people who believe that <clears throat> and and you know no pun intended god bless him because stockwell day was entitled to believe that so i knew it i was leading Christian's uh, war room in the year 2000 election um <clears throat> but nobody else seemed to know about it and finally paul hunter who was a fine CBC journalist, did a documentary. And it ran on the news it, towards the second half of the 2000 federal election campaign. And basically, it documented for the first time nationally this fact about Stockwell Day. <clears throat> so that night, I had dinner with Kretzias, uh, my old friend, and Kretzias' executive assistant, uh, our director of operations, Jean Carl, and Jean's a Montrealer, and we've known each other forever. And I said, "Look, I've got to amplify this thing. I got to make sure people saw this thing and they know this aspect of of day because it's not that he's a creationist. He's saying that his religion is going to inform the decisions he makes as prime minister. People need to know that because I thought people were going to object to that." So Jean's like, well, what do you want to do? And I said, I'm going to go and buy a Barney dinosaur doll, you know, the purple dinosaur that talks, and um, I'm going to use it on Canada AM tomorrow morning with Valerie Pringle, because I was a regular on Canada AM. And Jean started to laugh. And he said, oh, don't do that. Don't do that. You'll get fired from the campaign. And I said, well, I'm, I'm ready to take that hit to communicate the story. But you really think I shouldn't do that? And he said, yeah, don't do it. But then he kept laughing. They kept laughing. So finally, I said, okay, well, I may get in trouble, but I think it's going to work. So uh, one of my staff in the war room got a hold of the Barney dinosaur that night, delivered it to my hotel room. I was staying in a hotel when I was in Ottawa for that campaign. The next morning, I brought a duffel bag to the studios in Ottawa, and I was up against Tim Powers. Tim Powers was the conservative strategist on TV, and we'd become friendly. You know, when you do these panel things, you joust on TV, and, you know, most of the time, it's pretty friendly. And Tim is a really good guy. He's a true progressive conservative from Newfoundland. Uh, there's not many progressive conservatives left anymore. Anyway, at one point, um, towards the end of the segment, time was running out. I knew that 
we were running out of time. And there was some reference today in the documentary that Paul Hunter had done. And I reached into my bag and I took out Barney the dinosaur. And I said, you know, Valerie, the only um, uh, dinosaur that recently coexisted with humans is this guy right here. And by the way, Mr. Day, the Flintstones was not a democracy. So uh, I think she was shocked. I couldn't see her. She was in Toronto. But Tim just lost it and started laughing. And I thought, okay, if I've got the conservative guy laughing, I should be all right. And anyway, so I put, put the Barney in my bag and went back to the campaign. And I walked in, Charles, and it was just deathly quiet. And the staff behind the counter, you know, were just kind of looking at me. And I walked into the campaign and it was just quiet. People are looking at me. And I thought, okay, this is it. I'm going to get canned. And um, so I went to my office and I sat there. And John Ray, John Ray is the brother of Bob Ray. He is the head of Power Corp along with the Demarais Montreal. And he ran every one of Chrétien's campaigns, his leadership campaign and his three election campaigns. So Johnny, as we call them, comes to the door of my office and he stands there with his hands in his pocket. And he's not a tall guy, but he's one of the most intimidating people I've ever met. He doesn't say anything. And he just looks at me, totally straight face, and he says, be careful. <laughs> and I knew, okay, I'm not getting fired. And about a minute later, the phone rings and it's Christian and he's laughing. And he said, okay, tell me what happened. And so I told him what happened. And he says, okay, tell me again because he wanted to laugh some more. So anyway, so it worked. Could have blown up in my face. But the point was, long story short, voters, most voters don't want religion in their politics. They, they want, you know, separation of church and state. And they made a big mistake and we took advantage of it, or I did. So I want to get into this business of uh, people don't want uh, religion in their politics because there's a very, very large part of me that also believes people don't want ideology in, the, in their politics. They don't want people who are strict ideologues and, and, yep. and worship a particular ideology. I don't care which, which one you pick. Um, frankly, if, if you have an ideology that you label as liberal, uh, you know, what, today it's known as, uh, as wokeism. If everything you say all of the time is woke, you're going to appear to be a real geek out of sync with the average person. And if everything you say is, um, whether it's coming from, you know, social conservatism, uh, you know, creationism, which is kind of a, a, a wing of that, uh, that uh, Stockwell Day and some other people are into, or any other thing, any other ideology that really feels that you're not really married to the people, you're married yep. to this, 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 this entity that is foreign to most people, I think in Canada, at least, I'm pretty sure I could make the same case in the United States. I might have to use somewhat different language. But I, I think in, in, in Canada, if you're an ideologue, you're dead meat. And agree or disagree with this, if the liberal war room was running as effectively today as the war room that you ran, would you not be able to make a very, very effective case that uh, Pierre Polyev may be smart and maybe people think the way he gets in the face of the prime minister is good and all that. Just, I'll, just, I'll suspend my own views of Polyev to make this point. Isn't it true 
that a Warren Kinsella could make the case that Pierre Polyev is married to conservative ideology, not to Canadians. Yeah, no, I think you could. And, uh, you know, your point about wokeism is really important. Like, if you look up the definition of wokeism, and I'm going to get to Pierre Polyev in a minute, wokeism basically means an awareness and a concern about discrimination and intolerance. And by that definition, everybody I know is woke. What woke has become, however, is a belief, an ideology, as you put it, that you are so right all the time, you are entitled to boss around other people and tell them about the choices they should make in their lives. So I believe you can be woke on the left, but you can be woke on the right too, where you're being bossy and kind of telling people how they should live. And that is Polyev's exposure. Um, you know, he doesn't do it so much anymore because I think he's got some smart people around him who said, you got to cool it. But, you know, about two years ago, he was in the thrall of the convoy crazies. You know, he was promoting Bitcoin. He was talking about conspiracy theories at the World Economic Forum. <clears throat> like he was saying a lot of stuff that was really ideological, was really hardcore. And what was happening to him is Canadians, Joe and Jane Front Porch, as I call them, were looking at that and saying, I think he wants to boss me around in my life. I think he wants to tell me how I should be and how I should think. And I don't like that. Anyway, they dropped that stuff like a hot potato for now. And now he's gone ahead in the polls. I think that kind of wokeism, that piety, that belief that you're smarter than everybody else and you get to boss people around, that hurts politicians on the left and on the right. You know, I don't think Stockwell Day, to go back to that story, I don't think he was necessarily hurt by creationism. I, you know, my son at the time was saying to me, Daddy, you know, uh, everybody knows dinosaurs didn't live at the same time as people. <laughs> but, uh, but I think... You know, most Canadians are very understanding and forgiving people. His mistake wasn't being a creationist. His mistake was saying my creationist views are going to inform the decisions I make as prime minister. So at that point, he became woke, right? And he's like, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to run things, and I'm going to tell you how they should run, and my religion is going to inform that, my ideology. So I think you're absolutely right. What you've described isn't just something I agree with. It is, pun intended, my personal catechism. It's what I believe most about politics. Where you get in trouble is where you start imposing your personal beliefs and values and prejudices on others. And they don't want you to do that. So let's, uh, let's stay with the uh, Stockwell Day thing for, for just a moment and then uh, get back uh, to Polyev. When Stockwell Day says that creationism will inform him as a prime minister, inform his capacity to generate interest in and possibly enforce policy, at that point, the public is told, even if the public doesn't think of it this way, but the public receives it as, he's not really working for me. He's not really a public servant. He's a private servant. He's serving yep. a particular ideology called creationism, yep. and he's exploiting me as a Canadian. He's exploiting my neighbors 
to serve not us, but to serve that that thing. Is that is that really what we're talking about here? Absolutely, it is. And to use another example, so World Stockwell Day doesn't feel are picking on him. You know, look at what's happening in the Middle East. Um, what both sides are doing to different extents. I mean, Hamas does it much worse. Is they they say, well, you know, it's nothing personal. We're actually doing God's bidding. If you read the 1988 Charter of Hamas, they've updated it since. But the presence of God and ideology is throughout that document. You know, we have to purge Zionists of, of the Palestine, and we've got to bring Intifada to the globe, and so on. And they're they're actually you know aggressively doing that at the present time. What they're doing is they're cloaking some terrible, terrible deeds. And by the way, I encourage everybody to read uh, the New York Times investigation into the sexual violence against Israeli women on October 7th and subsequently, if you want a sense of what I'm talking about. They cloak all that in God. And when, in fact, they're acting in a godless, satanic way. And um, that's an example of what I think you and I are both talking about, is it's, they're not enough, they can't justify their actions or their decisions in and of themselves. They've got to ascribe it to a higher authority, whether it's Karl Marx or, you know, God or what have you. And in the name of that ideology, in the name of that religion, terrible things take place. And so I, you know, I, I am with you 100%. It is so dangerous um, if we allow partisanship and ideologues to run everything, um, because they eventually, eventually, they'll cloak their intentions at the start. But eventually, like Trump, um, we'll see what they're really like, and we're not going to like what they're really like. So we mentioned uh, Hamas. Let's mention Netanyahu. And for those people who say I'm drawing moral equivalence between Netanyahu and Hamas, I'm not. I'm making a much more important point than that. I'm asking Warren Kinsella, what ideology does Netanyahu serve and how, I don't want to put words in your mouth, how does the ideology get in the way of Israel's objective? Well, I think his deity is himself. Um, I am, uh, you know, I'm pro-Israel. I love Israel, as you know. I'm a Zionist. And I have been since my 20s. But, you know, I think Netanyahu is a crook. And as we've talked about before, he's facing three criminal prosecutions. He's attempted to get those kicked out, been unsuccessful. I have worked for Israelis who opposed the Netanyahu government as recently as just a few weeks before the war started. Um, so I'm no fan of that man. He uh, promised to protect Israel. He did not. He was warned by the Egyptians, by his own intelligence agencies, that Hamas was coming. He dismissed it. And then the New York Times has revealed in a huge investigation a few days ago that he knew, not only did he know that Qatar was providing Hamas with millions and millions of dollars in support, he actually was encouraging it because he thought he could buy peace with Hamas. Well, October 7th showed the folly of that. I think Netanyahu is a disaster, but so does every Israeli that I know or that I know of. They want him out, Charles. 85% of Israelis oppose Netanyahu. But everybody knows over there, and I think here they're in an existential battle with Hamas and these these horrible, horrible organizations, these terrorist organizations, and they have to prevail there before they can turn 
their attention inward and get rid of Netanyahu. And I believe that they will, and I believe that they have to. Is he extending the war because extending the war extends his capacity to stay on as prime minister? He is attempting to do that, yes. I've seen credible multiple reports, because as you know, and I know, Israel has a vibrant, vibrant media, a free media, and it's not controlled by Netanyahu. And there is now a widespread belief that he may be thinking about extending the war in order to extend his grip on power and, and to be returned to power, because I think he knows how much trouble he's in. Like he was in trouble before. His so-called judicial reforms were causing the biggest protests Israel's seen in its entire history. Um, people wanted him out. They want him out even more now. So, yeah, that is a concern. Uh, I don't think he's going to get away with that because the average Israeli voter are quite shrewd and quite perceptive. And I think that they know at the end of the day, the man who was supposed to protect them on October 7th uh, more than any other did not. And there needs to be an accounting for that. Like Mayor, Golda Mayer, you know, as you know, and I know, you know, when this happened in the Yom Kippur War uh, half a century ago, um, Mayer, you know, she prevailed in the end with the support of the uh, Henry Kissinger, let's be blunt, and, uh, and the Americans. But there was an accounting for that. There was a serious judicial inquiry. And Mayor, Golda Mayer had to show up and testify. And the report was very critical of her. There's going to be an inquiry like that on steroids after the war is over. And I think Netanyahu is going to be facing the music. If I say to Warren Kinsella, the Zionist, at the moment, Palestinian children are dying, Israeli defense forces, members of the IDF are dying, and Israeli and other hostages that were taken on October 7th could possibly die because Benjamin Netanyahu's ideology is narcissism, because Benjamin Netanyahu is serving himself and he is causing the unnecessary deaths of multiple people. Is that fair ball from Warren Kinsella's perspective? Uh, yeah, I mean, my moral compass on the war has been Joe Biden. You know, the Americans obviously have access to much more intelligence than I do, or just about anybody else does. So I've been very paying very close attention to what Biden says, because he knows more than anybody. And what Biden has said is somewhat similar to what you just said. He said Hamas m must be eliminated. They cannot remain in power in Gaza. Hezbollah cannot remain in power in the West Bank. Um, it's an ongoing existential threat to not just Israel, but to Western interests around the world. That must be done. However, the way in which I, the IDF has been conducting the war, you know, with the use of dumb bombs, for example, and there's just general sloppiness that we've now seen, the killing of three hostages who were holding up a sign, Charles, that said, SOS, um, we are hostages. Like they knew they were hostages and they got killed anyway. Like the IDF that failed on October 7th, I do not fully trust the, the IDF now to execute this war in a way that doesn't turn the whole world against Israel. Like you can win the battle in the short term, but can lose it in the long term. 
And I'm very concerned about that, that both not just Netanyahu, but IDF, the IDF may prevail against Hamas, but they lose, you know, the West, they lose uh, your average person. And that would be very bad for Israel. So I think uh, we mentioned Hamas. I just want to drive the Zamboni over the ice here and, uh, you know, clean, uh, clean some stuff off. I think uh, uh, when you're talking about Hezbollah prevailing, uh, Hezbollah is the uh, Shiite uh, force that is aligned with Iran, and uh, they are in Lebanon, and uh, they're engaging every day with Israel in uh, in the West Bank. It's the uh, the Palestine Authority, and of course, it's Hamas right now in in uh, in Gaza. I just want to take uh, one more poke at the uh, at, at the bear here on the, in the Middle East. When yep. uh, Joe Biden and other uh, Americans are saying, I'm talking about military strategists, are saying that Israel has got to focus on high-value Hamas targets. What yep. is what is what are the Americans saying to, to Israel? Are they saying they've got to stop this this uh, this ground war, uh, stop the, uh, the the bombing that some people are calling carpet bombing? that some people are saying is not strategic and just focus on nailing the top people at Hamas and taking the organization out that way. Is that what the Americans are saying to Israel? Yes, they are. Stage one is now. Stage one is what's taken place since the incursion began into the north. Now it's in the middle and south of Gaza. That's stage one. And it has been a blunt instrument. It's been the use of airstrikes as well as troops. The Americans want the Israelis moved to what is called stage two, where the airstrikes basically stop. And, um, you know, the IDF send in appropriately trained personnel to take out Hamas on the ground, literally on the ground, and in some cases, literally under the ground. The reluctance about that, the hesitation, of course, is that's going to result in many more IDF casualties. But... That's just the way it is. I think what's happened now is, you know, we're a few days away from 2024. I've always felt that the, the stage one needed to end in January of 2024. Otherwise, Israel was going to lose all of Europe and a lot of North American public opinion. And that would be very bad indeed. So it needs to move to this different type of war. And stage three, you might ask, well, what's stage three? Stage three is like what Mayer did after the Munich massacre by Palestinian terrorists of Israeli athletes in 1972. You've got to basically search around the globe for these monsters who live, led Hamas and Hezbollah and take them out. And I think that's stage three, and that is going to come. Warren Kinsella, let's take that number three and bring it to Canada. Inflation right now is at 3%. It's half of what it was last year at this time. Inflation will be running at 2% within a few months. That is the Bank of Canada target and the green light to lowering rates, including all important mortgage rates. Is Canada broken? No, it is not. It's never been. And I hated that uh, Polyev has said that. I've said that in the pages of the Toronto Sun and our videos and so on. Our politics are broken. The country is not broken. As somebody who resides here, I think we've got a pretty damn good country. That's why a million people want to come here every year literally a million. Um, so he says that, and he's wrong. It's a mistake. Our politics are broken, not our people. Uh, um, and the numbers you point to economically are important. But there's this weird paradox taking place. 
<clears throat> like you look at the Americans, their economy is firing on all cylinders. They have full employment in the United States of America. Bidenomics is working, right? It's it's kickstarted the American economy after the uh, pandemic in a way that I think few expected. But nobody's giving them credit for it. Same thing I think has happened to the liberals in Canada is that um, just objectively, to be fair, the economy, our economy measured against the rest of the G7 or the G20, our economy is actually doing okay. We're doing all right. Not as well as the Americans, but we're doing all right. But nobody believes it. And the same thing in the United States. Nobody believes it. It's like you and I have talked about this over the years. Crime has been down. It's now up again in all categories. Crime was down. But you couldn't, in politics, people of us like us who worked in politics, we couldn't say that crime was down. People would get pissed off at us because they just didn't believe it because Aunt Margaret got mugged last week. So therefore, it must be an epidemic. The same thing has happened with economics, where objectively, provably, manifestly, things are better, but nobody believes it. And, you know, Biden and Trudeau are being punished for that. And I don't know how to fix that because it's not an economic fix. It's, it's actually an attitudinal thing. I've only got uh, a couple of uh, precious minutes left with you, Warren Kinsella. Uh, so I want to ask you a, a blunt question, as I want to do. Is the problem messaging? Political people, especially political people in communications, believe everything is about the messaging. Is it yeah. possible that the Republicans are messaging, and I'm, not, I'm talking about the whole Republican right-wing ecosystem, okay, uh, that includes the, the Fox News, that in, includes the stuff on in social media, that includes Elon Musk, okay, that includes Joe Rogan. Is it possible that the right-wing ecosystem is out-messaging the so-called progressive and centrist ecosystem? And is it possible that we've got the same in this country where whatever one may think of many of the things that Polyev says and how he says them, you know, regardless of the, 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 the apple eating that some people think is wonderful, other people don't, at the end of the trail, if this is a hockey game, the conservatives in Canada and the conservatives in the United States are outscoring their opponents. They are. And I've written a book about this and you interviewed me about it. Like politics, communicating in politics. You know, I know Pierre Trudeau used to say, you know, reason before passion. And I aspire to live in that world. But none of us live in that world. People make important political choices on the basis of their heart, not their head, on their heart, their gut. And so conservatives in their tiny black hearts know this better than progressives. <laughs> conservatives are better at language because they use simple gut level language and they talk about values. And so what do I mean by that is you know, a progressive gets tongue-tied talking about values. It makes them uncomfortable. They, they prefer to talk about policy and, you know, reams of statistics and stuff. That makes them comfortable. Conservatives don't do that. You know, you look at a guy like Rob Ford, like he, you know, he was by any reasonable standard not suitable to be the mayor of Toronto, but he could speak in this average man kind of way. And people got it. They didn't feel like he was talking down to them. And he would reduce complex issues, value stuff, 
to really simple propositions, gravy train, whatever. And so you're absolutely right. Conservatives have a smaller voting pool. They have a smaller voting base. It tends to be older. It tends to be motivated to come out and vote, but it's a smaller number of voters. Progressives suck. They absolutely fucking suck at communication. And this gets back to the very first question you asked me. How do you, how do you communicate, you know, that the economy is actually doing well? Well, you start communicating that the economy is doing well. The Trudeau guys haven't done that. How do you communicate that Pierre Polyev wants to impose his values on you? Well, you start saying that, but they haven't done that. They've let Polyev define himself. And, you know, the rule I always had in every war room I ran is define or be defined. And they have let Polyev define himself. And I don't know how they're going to pull it back because right now he's way ahead uh, because they've let him paint the picture and they haven't painted a picture at all. Warren Kinsella, may Barney the dinosaur bless you. <laughs> I can do a pretty good imitation of him, but I'm not going to do that right now. <laughs>